welcome to Femtech India podcast. I'm your host Navneet and I'm thrilled to have you join us today. In this episode, we have a privilege of diving into a captivating conversation with the true polymath Neil Tanedar with remarkable entrepreneurship background. Neil brings a unique perspective to our discussion. As a founder of U Optech Venture Capitalist, fund specializing in biotech startup, Neil has been at forefront of healthcare industry. We will explore his journey as an entrepreneur and investor uncovering challenges he has faced along the way. Join me welcoming Neil. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining. Sure. Yeah, hi Neil. Can you please tell our listeners um little more about yourself and your background? Yes, yeah, so I've been an entrepreneur now for 13 years. Uh, I really started because I was uh, forced into it. So my dad ran testing labs my whole life. Uh, so when I was two years old, he quit his job as a chemist and started his own one-person testing lab in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, that business did very well for close to 20 years. Uh, he had over 500 employees by the time uh, I went to college. And two years later, the whole business was gone. Uh, the bank took the business, took our home, took our cars, took everything, uh, and exactly broke even at the height of the recession with a business that was doing very well and it still exists to this day. And so while he built something great over 20 years, he didn't get to see the value of it. And what I really wanted to do at in 2010 was to help him get back on his feet. And so I graduated. He and I started a two-person testing lab in Ann Arbor, Michigan, And that's how both of us got our career started again. So I uh, would do the testing in the lab. We would go back and forth between, I would build the website, he would do sales, yeah. and we figured out how to build a business. And that's close to 100 people now. It's a successful business that's owned by a larger company. And so we basically found a way to get him back on his feet. I, I got my first startup at you know 20 years old. I was starting a business uh, and that really pushed me to get started earlier. And it was what led me to my own startup, Labdoor, labdoor.com, which we've now been running for over 10 years. We've raised $7 million in seed and series A financing. We've gone, we went through Y Combinator in 2015 and have been profitable since 2018. And so we've really built this great business around being the independent alternative to the FDA, testing, vitamins, supplements, yeah. uh, everything that the is not uh, regulated needs to be tested for purity and accuracy. And we do that work. Oh, amazing. You're also chairman Thank of... You. A to all the non-profit medical device startup dedicated to improving access to healthcare globally. So um, can you please tell a little more about that? So that was a, is a nonprofit that started during COVID. Uh, and so March, 2020, uh, there's a lot of startup people who were trying to figure out what we could do to help. And one of the things that was really exciting was the idea of crowdsourcing the design of medical devices. And so we looked first at ventilators, how to make Uh, cheap, cheap ventilators, you know, under $500 that can be effective, like the $50,000 ventilators that are in the US. Uh, and so we started there, we looked at powered air purifying respirators. And so looking at ways to make cheaper, safer medical devices for the whole world, uh, not just the US is something that was really interesting to me. And through that process, we ended up building a 501c3 nonprofit uh, and now have been serving medical devices to other places. So in uh, the Ukraine crisis over the last two years, we've been sending essential medical devices uh, as they get donated, as people donate money, we're able to buy medical devices and send them over. So we've been sending all kinds of medical devices to 
Ukraine. And so we've kind of yeah. built a system. And this is something that I like to do with kind of all of my, whether it's a business or nonprofit politics, the solution to a lot of the world's biggest problems can be in sometimes like a simple hack, something as simple as can you make a nonprofit medical device company, right? And so the taking the profit out of medical devices is something that I think just could be very valuable. And it could happen in other industries. It could happen in pharmaceuticals as well. And so I'm always looking for, is there a hack? Is there a workaround to where the whole industry could have a new lane to operate? No, absolutely. When we talk about um, funding side of the things, right, and you interact with a lot of founders and help them scale from ground, what what is your observation when we talk about femtech and women's health space? Because there's still a lot of funding gap, right? Yeah, I think the hardest part is getting started, right? So the first round is really hard for anyone who's unknown in any way, right? And so if you're international, that's the challenge. I was even, I was from the Midwest of the United States. And it's again, hard in, in places like St. Louis or Detroit to find that first check or that first investor. And so a lot of places like we moved to San Francisco in 2012 to get more funding, to get that first $100,000 check from Rock Health. And then once we're in San Francisco, then we raised more money in San Francisco, we went through Y Combinator. And so it's really just about getting started, right? I knew no, zero investors before that first 100K. Once I moved to San Francisco and get this network, then I know a lot more people. At this point now, 10 years plus down the road, I can move back to Michigan. I can go back to the Midwest. I can live near my family. I can build and try to create systems for other people. But the challenges, whether it's for females or for minorities or for people in other parts of the world, uh, we just have to have more VCs that can write those first checks. And so that's one of the things I'm trying to do. No, absolutely. And when you look at, uh, when we talk about your venture capital funds, that those are only dedicated to biotech startups, right? Yes. So I think for my first fund, a $5 million pre-seed VC fund, I want to be very focused on first check for biotech. And so the really the first fifty to $100,000 check in a perfect world, uh, you know, a scientist has a breakthrough idea, needs to get from idea to proof of concept, needs, you know, maybe fifty or $100,000 to do that testing. Maybe it's the university they're already at uh, can do the testing physically, but needs someone to sponsor the research. Uh, and so we want to pay for the testing up front so that the startup owns that research. And that's one real major path. The other one is just what I would call the like classic Silicon Valley path, where in the old days with tech, even it used to take $5 million to just start a tech company and used to buy servers and build like a whole team just to get a website off the ground. And that's not true anymore. There's all these tools and services that make that, you know, the, what Mike Maples from Floodgate, one of our investors likes to say, you know, 500K is the new 5 million, right? He started saying that in 2005, 2006, and that's what was happening in tech. And I think that that same effect is happening in biotech now, where you're able to start biotech companies with much less money. Now, you might still later to go through regulatory and through phase one, phase two, phase three, still need a lot of money, and you'll be able to raise that money later. But if you can break down the earliest stages into more steps, and I think that's true not just in biotech, that could be true in healthcare, that could be true in tech. If you break it into smaller steps, you can potentially raise from more smaller investors early. And so this is another kind of hack to get around that cold start early stage problem is instead of raising a million dollars from one or two or three people or 
even 10 people, you could raise, you know, a hundred K from one or two or three or 10 people. And if you break that earliest round down into that first 50, hundred K, you might be able to make a massive amount of progress on that smaller amount of money. And then that's what gets you the ability to raise the million dollars later. And I find that a lot of founders are getting stuck in that phase, that cold start phase where they feel like they can't build anything without money and they can't raise anything without uh, building, right? And so I think that that you have to find some way to get through that. Since you've been part of the Y Combinator as well, so how do you create the next Y Combinator when we look at women's health space? Yeah, I think when we say the next Y Combinator or Y Combinator for X, it's something I love to write about. <laughs> I like think about, you know, there should be a Y Combinator for biotech and a Y Combinator <laughs> for India or like yeah. all these different areas. I think what we're really saying is that there's this fast first check that it's like a stamp of approval also that uh, Y Combinator gives, right? It's, it's all of it at once. Uh, one of the things I think Paul Graham said early on is that there was, when they targeted uh, these basically students that were finishing college and about to start a startup, they were kind of convincing them, like, don't get a job, start a startup, right? It was like almost that was the trade-off. And even at that level, they were talking about that $20,000 means you can tell your parents that you, because back then it was only a $20,000 investment. It was like, you could tell your parents, hey, I got funded by Y Combinator. You know, I can, I don't have to take the job, right? And so there's yeah. just even these simple things of the, what I would call that Y Combinator stamp for approval is I think extremely valuable. We got that in 2015. It changed me personally also as a founder where I'm able to meet more people, talk to different VCs. Uh, and so it builds my network. And the challenge now is that it's a $500,000 check. I think 20,000 people are applying for 200 spots. And so it's gone later stage. And so if anyone wants to make the Y Combinator for X, it's going back to the original Y Combinator, where it's 20,000, 50,000, $100,000 checks. It's very, very early. Paul Graham used to cook dinner personally for the founders every batch, right? Yeah. And so if if we can kind of get back to that early stage idea of one founder, you know, a few investors helping a few founders. That's really where the Y Combinator comes from. When we talk about technology, how do you think um, it's fueling the growth in uh, typically in healthcare side, uh, especially when we talk about women's health? I think we're getting a lot more personalization now. I think that's something that's interesting with Labdoor. I've seen supplements uh, over the last 10 plus years. And a lot of the, we've always wanted uh, kind of this one perfect multivitamin is kind of one way that business has gone, right? And I think the other way to go with something like supplements is to think about it in terms of, you know, is there one perfect supplement for everyone, right? And like, could you personalize the supplements to different people? And I think the same thing is true in health tech and in tech in general is that we're now starting to be able to personalize the products to the people. And so that's something that, especially if you think about, products being made for the defaults. I think a lot of cases products are made for men. And so if you can actually have just the simple idea of like, we should be making products for individual people instead of for genders or for everyone, I think that makes a big difference. And so that's something that we'll find. I think the other one is just going to be getting better at funding. And we haven't solved that problem yet. And there needs to be more founders or and more VCs that are specifically focused on this. And I think you could make many great VC funds just out of these theses, right? I think the best <laughs> VC funds come out of the as precise of a thesis as possible. And so for me, it's first check for biotech, right? It's like, I'm trying to be as precise as possible. I think if people wanted to write first check for 
for female for femtech i think it's just an incredible other opportunity it could be as specific as you know health tech in india right it could be in different places like each of those are separate valuable funds that need to be created i think there should be more come more people that do that that's you should do that you should start a vc fund you know you uh, i think that's, that's that's what we should be doing is just finding more potential vc no, absolutely. I totally agree that I think that becomes a lot easier for founders as well, because they know where to go. There's a target fund, dedicated fund for femtech, biotech, medtech startups, right? Yes. It It's hard for um, early stage startup to really scale up if they don't have funding. Absolutely. I think that's the, in the earliest stages, especially, right? So yeah. the first 50 or 100 is really hard. And then when you, and then there's kind of this middle zone and why Combinator is very good at it, where kind of raising one, two, three, four, five million dollars can be easier in the middle. And then it gets hard again, right? And yeah. then scaling to 50 million, 100 million in funding can get challenging again. And then again, it comes down to who you know and what your personal brand is. And yeah. then again, it becomes challenging if you're, female or minority or not from the right part of the world, right? And so all these same biases happen again later on. And so I'm in any of these cases, I think getting through these biases, a lot of it is just more access, more types of funding, more people who are VCs, right? Who look like us, who are like, uh, who are kind of like, like everyone. And so having more types of VCs is key. And then the really specific theses is key, right? If people are looking at the different yeah. verticals or different horizontals and really owning it and saying like they are the best in the world at that one field or that one niche, uh, that's where it makes the best VCs. No, absolutely. When we look at um, overall healthcare segment, because um, this podcast is dedicated to femtech and women's health, and that's why I'm going to use that women's health again and again. What do you think that's the biggest next big thing in the women's health sector? Oh, that's tough. I think we've, we're seeing a lot of uh, technology right now for... Um, I, I've, I've really had a challenge with the way that technology has been built for both men and women. Uh, and I, I still think it will really come down to personalization, right? And so I, I've, I'm wanting to see more both in medical and in tech come down to either the diagnostics or, right, so it's actually testing you. That's something that I would love to see more of a focus on. We always talk about therapeutics, right? It's like, how can we cure the next, next greatest disease? And uh, we're going to have, you know, a new pharmaceutical or a new uh, therapeutic for that. And I would love to see more of the focus on diagnostics. So it's like, how do we do, is the cost of testing, you know, genetic testing costs have come way down, but there are other testing costs that are going to come down too. Yeah. And so it, it needs to go from, this, you know, yearly checkup where, you know, you do this massive blood test for once a year to much more frequent testing. And so just, I think one of the best ways you get to personalization is you need much better testing, right? Mm -hmm. You need to have much more frequent data about yourself to actually be able to feed into the personalization. And so if there are more startups on the tech side that are specifically focused on diagnostics, that's something that I think is underrated right now. We just discussed that you have founders and reach funding. How do you feel the challenges of community building and engagement are currently positioned? It it makes the tools all there. It's still a lot of work to build a community, and I've I've been challenged with that too. I've been, uh, you know, building a, a community of scientists CEOs this year. There's over 150 people in a group, and that running events are, is its own challenge. Doing a podcast is its own challenge. I've been looking at other ways. I think getting people together in in person, I think is really key still. And I think that it will be starting to come back more and more. And so 
Uh, I love that. I think I, we're missing these really focused events for yeah. founders, right? Especially early stage founders. And, and then like, how do they meet investors? I think the conference is always so targeted at like the sponsors and the investors. And there's like where the money comes from is these kind of making it as big as possible and as fancy as possible. Whereas what really needs to happen is like early, early stage founders, like seed angel founders need to talk to each other. And that's actually something that Y Combinator does excellently is you're not just alone in your startup journey anymore. There are 200 other startups that are sprinting with you and they're on the yeah. same three month timeline to get to demo day. And, you know, every week you guys are going to talk and decide, hey, what did you do this week? What did you get done this week? Right. And so it's just that, that pressure in a good way of all your kind of friends and peers all at the same place. Uh, we need to create more of those spaces, whether it's for scientist CEOs, whether it's for first time VCs or for fund founders. I like to think about, the VCs who start funds are founders themselves and they yeah. have to build a niche and a brand and, you know, they have to pitch investors and pitch founders at the same time. And it's a two-sided marketplace. And so for all those reasons, we're in kind of the same boat. Uh, and so if there are more events and more communities for more of these types of people, I think that will support more of the actual good things happening with more VCs, more founders. No, absolutely. And I think it's also a great idea bringing people together, right? Like, how we have talk shows, we have entertainment, which is we have access everywhere, even on TV also, and how Netflix promotes different shows that I think there should be shows on entrepreneur journeys, right? Because people can yep. relate to that who is going through. I really hope that changes soon, right? Absolutely. Yeah. When we look at, um, you know, healthcare and especially for women-led startups in biotech and, you know, what, what are your aspirations on that? With biotech specifically, I think we've seen some great founders. Twist Biosciences has a, has a great founder, uh, right? I mean, we're seeing great female founders being created anywhere. Uh, and so, again, I think one of the big challenges is the first round. So I, I want to see more first round female biotech founders get created. I think one of that will come from is from the science, right? So I'm really looking to come up with scientist CEOs who are actually you know, creating the research themselves. And so uh, Twist is an excellent example of this. Uh, and I think I'm seeing some great startups that are in my pipeline right now, where it is, you know, it's a single female scientist CEO is starting the whole company, right? And wow. so if I, w I would love to see in general scientist CEOs, but I think that's what's really exciting to me is if kind of the entire in some ways, if the entire company is in one person at the very, very beginning, that's where first check is so much more effective. And I think, again, I think we're seeing the historical analogy to Y Combinator and tech 20 years ago. Like in all these ways, it feels like biotech is 20 years behind tech, uh, where, and funding is one of the big ones where we are now just starting to get that 500K as the new 5 million. And so if we get that into biotech, I think that then changes the type of person who can be a founder. The hardest thing, raising 5 million right off the bat, uh, you almost have to know people. You have to be in VC. You have to maybe get an MBA. Like you probably want to have know people at Stanford, right? All things that even I don't have good connections with. And it's always been hard for me. Yeah. Um, and it can be harder for people who have never started a startup before. And so if we can actually shrink the first check and the, the entry, right? It's like the door is easier to open, then more people will go through. And so I think that's the biggest part. Like the biggest part where we're losing female founders is at the very beginning. And so if we can like make the door wider at the beginning, I think the rest of the problem can solve itself.
No, absolutely. When we talk about overall segment in women's health, right, as you just said, um, where you as a VC look at that founder has to be a scientist or has to have some healthcare background. But how about probably people like us? So this is a challenge that I've seen everywhere, even in politics uh, between men and women. I was reading a great article yesterday about the female governor of Michigan, my state, uh, and we've kind of gone back and forth. And she was saying actually that, you know, that men will actually push, will push themselves to run for office uh, before they're ready and that women will have to be kind of asked to or pulled to after they're ready uh, yeah. to run for things. And that we just need to have, you know, she was saying that, you know, more women just need to step up and, and take the opportunities when they're uh, given to them. And so I, th I think that there's something there about uh, the same thing is that I was the same way with startups where I just guessed, right? At 20 years old, it was like, I have to help my dad. There's nothing else we can do. It's like save the family business. I have to be a founder. And so that's why I just jumped into being a founder. And then over time, I slowly started writing small angel checks personally. And that was like a little intro into being a VC. I still like never had a VC job. I've, you know, don't know VCs. I never like grew yeah. up with VC friends or anything like that. Right. Uh, and so from my perspective, I just had to jump into it. And so there's a program called VC Lab, which I highly recommend uh, for people who are aspiring VCs. And it's very much like Y Combinator, but for VCs. And so they are also trying to create a wider front door for VCs, uh, the same way that YC is doing a wider front door for founders. And so I would recommend that program for people who want to get into VC. But I think the biggest thing is that you have to, in any whether it's a founder or VC, you're only going to learn by jumping in and starting. And so, and then you learn on the job. And so, we need more people to kind of to take the leap and then figure it out along the way. Uh, and so that's the biggest thing. So just jump in, yeah. we'll figure out the rest along the way. No, I totally agree on that. I think once you jump in, you just find people along the way to support you, right? Like you exactly. find ways then, of course. Um, yeah. So do you have any message for young entrepreneurs um, who are into femtech, women's health sector? Um, and uh, what what is the message do you want to, you know, pass on to them? Yeah, I, I when more I talk to founders, I find that founders, we all have the same similar problems, right? <laughs> We're all struggling with usually it's fundraising, right? It's hard and it always is taking longer than it's expected. And when you zoom out over, this is a luxury now, but when you zoom over a 10 year plus period, you do start to see things just starting to become successful. So I have angel investments that I made in 2013 uh, that are just now starting to pay off. I have, you know, my own startups that were created, you know, 2012, 2013 that yeah. are just starting to pay off. Right. And so as we kind of think about it, it just gets my message for founders is it gets better. It gets a lot better the longer you work on it. Uh, the, you know, the first one, two, three years is often the toughest. And the biggest reason why people fail is that they never make it. They never finish the job. Yeah. I think that there's this idea of, uh, I, I think it's very rare that someone will start work on a startup for 10 years and it totally fails. Uh, I think that that's actually, it's much more likely that someone worked 18 months or six months yeah. and just decided, uh, I, I wasn't making any progress. This isn't going to work. And they stopped themselves. Uh, I think the people who get there to 10 plus years uh, invariably gets to success. No, absolutely. I think we need a community. So I think this this is what's exciting. I think you're doing a great job with the with podcasts. It's something that I've been trying to do myself. So I'm learning from this as well. So I'm trying to do more podcasts myself. I'm trying to interview more people. And so I think you're doing a great job connecting people. And I think 
what is would be really interesting is, and this is what I try to push people on is now that you've built you know a community and an audience, uh, VC could be a really interesting thing for you to do too. <laughs> and so, I it's a re- the toughest part is getting started. And so, uh, I'm happy to chat with you about VC Lab. I think that's a good option. Yeah. And just getting more people started into VC is something that's a real passion of mine. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much, Neil. Um, uh, it was lovely talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.